Welcome again to another episode of NACA's American Dream Podcast, production of the Neighborhood Assistance Corporation of America. Continuing our conversation with Bruce Marks about how NACA was built and starting off with an incredible battle against uh, Fleet Financial back in the day, and we left it at a pretty interesting point in the halls of Congress and a congressional hearing, and things are starting to heat up. Uh, pick it up from from uh, where you were doing your testimony and how it how it uh, went from there. So the deal was, Tim, was that we would do the hearing in the morning, and so Fleet had a Fleet, and we had over 500 people there, right? So uh, uh, so we'd do the hearing in the morning. Fleet would testify. Other people would than I would. And after the hearing at two o'clock that afternoon, we would have a meeting at the Federal Reserve Bank in their boardroom with some of the governors of the Federal Reserve, right? So, so we were allowed to bring in, uh, we packed the room with 150 fleet borrowers. Now they come back to me and they say, you know, fleet wants to be able to give their point of view to the Board of Governors. Remember, this is not staff, this is Board of Governors, right? So they wanted to be able to give their point of view. So the deal was cut that says they could be there, but they couldn't speak. And then we got some of the reporters in there. Rob Wells from AP and other reporters were, we got them in. So now you have to remember what the Federal Reserve uh, uh, conference room is. It is this beautiful, huge inlaid table and all that. And the first $1 bill is on the wall, the oh. first $5 bill is on the wall. So it's this massive, uh, ornate place, right? So we cram in all these people, about 150, right? To, uh, you know, people in there. And then, so what happens is that the, you know, the victims, the fleet, you know, borrowers who've been victimized by fleet are in the face of the fleet executives saying, you did this to me, you did that to me, but they can't, the deal is they can't respond, right? So, you know, it got pretty crazy, right? So uh, then we do this, we're, doing this with the Board of Governors, which is a big, big deal, uh, for about an hour, hour and a half. And then they say, well, we have to leave because President Clinton is giving his first State of the Union address. And so we'll get back to you. They said, I said, what do you mean you get back to us? We're not leaving. What do you mean you're not leaving? <laughs> I said, we're not leaving. You know, we want to know what you're going to do, what your next steps are. Remember, and I used to work for the Federal Reserve. Right. So I know that there are no big advocates for you know, uh, working people or for people victimized by predatory, discriminatory lending. So I said, no, we're not leaving this. But you have to, you know, we, we gotta go home, get dressed, and you know, we're going, we're in one of the front rows of, the, of Bill Clinton's first State of the Union address. So we had this standoff for about you know, half an hour, an hour, and finally they, they had agreed to our terms, right? So, you know, they said, okay, we're, we're going to get back to you. We're going to look into this. We're going to get uh, back to you in six weeks. We had this meeting set up, and they met our terms, right? So we said, this is great. So we go, um, I mean, we won that, but they weren't happy. So now we go back um, six weeks later. And you have to understand where the Federal Reserve is. So they got buildings on two sides, right? Uh, and there's, there is a roadway. And so... We go there and they just uh, uh, are not, they did not adhere to their part of the agreement. Uh, you know, they didn't set up the meetings the way that they had promised, you know, they didn't give us access. 
So we block, and it's pouring rain. So we're blockading the entrance to the Federal Reserve. You can't go in or out. So we blockaded um, the, the, uh, the um, main entrance. And then these two limousines pull up right in the middle, you know, right down there. And, and the bodyguards get out. And someone yells out, that's Alan Greenspan. <laughs> and so we all run from blockading the entrance of uh, the Federal Reserve, and we surround who we think is Alan Greenspan, just, right? Just, just for those who aren't aware, Alan Greenspan was the chairman of the Federal Reserve yeah. and was for many, many yeah, yeah. years. Yeah. yeah. So then we're surrounding him. And this guy, and we're saying, you know, why aren't you going to you know, take on Fleet? Why aren't you going to hold them accountable? And the guy is in this sort of in a kind of accent, you know, Alan Greenspan, you can never understand what the guy says, but you know, it seems like a different accent. And, and then I get a tap on the shoulder, and because the, the security people are going crazy, and says, you know, that's not Alan Greenspan, that's the Italian finance minister. <laughs> and if you remember back then, the Red Brigade was killing someone. I mean, they, they were really petrified that, you know, that this guy was, was uh, in danger. I said, at that point, we're into it. I said, I don't care whether it's, you know, the, the Italian finance minister or Alan Greenspan, we're not going to let this thing go. We're going to continue to, you know, surround the guy and to, uh, and to uh, protest him. And, you know, and, and he's saying in his, in his Italian accent, you know, you know, this is really bad and all that. So finally, they said, okay, okay, if you stop doing this, we, we, uh, we, uh, we, we'll let you in. We'll meet with you, we'll hear your stuff, and we'll follow up, right? So, uh, so we ended up going inside, and, you know, and you know, we went in there, you know, and I remember because we had a choice of whether we're going to protest inside or we could just have um, uh, a different type of action. So we decided that we were going to um, just uh, be uh, very disciplined and not say anything, just hear what they said, and then we were, we were going to leave. And I think that scared them more than uh, anything because they said, "What are these guys up to?" I mean, yeah. so it's like they you know, don't do that. You what know, are, what's, going yeah, on? what's going on? So we did that, and you know, the campaigns continued. You know, sixty minutes came to us, uh, and they, uh, you know, said, "You know, we want to do a piece on um, on fleet." And we said, "We well, can't do it in Boston." You know, this was I think they came they came to us in August, uh, and you know, you can't do the piece in uh, uh, in um, Boston, so we set it up in Atlanta. So we had expanded, so we had done so much research, Tim, on fleet that we kept on piecing out uh, the stories to the uh, different media, because we had all of this information. We started in on uh, you know, Massachusetts with the Boston Globe and Channel 7 News, and then we expanded it to you know, other places around the country, because fleet was pervasive everywhere, right? Um, throughout the country. So. So we, you know, we went after their law firm, King and & Spaulding, and you know, we did a protest against them, and we continued. So one thing, so we found out, you know, we're into this over four years now. So I got a call from uh, a friend of mine who says, do you know that Terry Murray, head of CEO, he's speaking at the Newton Marriott outside of Boston to uh, these business executives throughout New England, sponsored by the Harvard Business School. So we go in and we, we take the names of all the Harvard Business School graduates. So we had 35 of us are going in, you know, as Harvard Business School graduates. <laughs> and they hadn't seen so many minority <laughs> Harvard School business graduates, right? So, um, 
you know, we all go in as these pseudonyms, right? You know, I think my name was, it, it was Anal. My wife got, got me, the, you know, she framed the business card, you know, his, the, the, the uh, name tag of the, the name that I took. Uh, so to do that. And we spread out at all the tables there, right? Terry Murray's about to speak. And I go up to him and I said, we're shutting this down. We're shutting this down. You're not speaking. And then he stands up and he says that, uh, says to everybody publicly, he says, what NACA has been saying about us is absolutely true. That we've been engaging in these types of practices and I'm saying here publicly that I will settle this within two weeks. So we had three two-hour meetings. And in those meetings, so the first one was sort of get uh, the lay of the land, to get the, get the background, what our demands were, and all that. Uh, the second one was to put out, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, to renegotiate the detail, the issues, and the third was to finalize. Now, we had previously worked with Roy Barnes, who was, uh, you know, the leader in the Georgia um, State House. And, uh, you know, he sued. He sued Fleet. Uh, um, so we had Jack Long, who was the lawyer, you know, working out of um, the Augusta area, and Roy was working out of the Atlanta area. He sued. He went to the Georgia um, Supreme Court and lost. He lost eight to one. So I get a call from Roy saying, I need you to help me settle this case, right? So what we did is that we worked on an agreement where Fleet would do an in-city program lending for $8 billion. They would settle the lawsuit. So Roy got um, uh, $6 million, I think, and more for his class and $3 million in fees. And Jack Long, we settled all the lawsuits. And NACA got $140 million in our mortgage product. Not any money to us, but $140 million in its one mortgage product, no down payment and no closing costs money that we could lend to, to home buyers. Yes. So we wanted to set that standard, right? So the, so, so the uh, you know, last meeting, and Terry Murray was good to his word. He did all this. And the last thing he said to me, not in an evil way, he says to me, um, you know, I've given you everything that you have demanded. But you think this is easy you're going to be so consumed with the regulations and the process and lending that you're never going to be able to be an activist again. I've given you enough rope to hang yourself. Hmm. Hmm. Didn't say it in a nasty way. He said, right. you know, but, you know, that was his final words to me. Trying to give you some sage advice. <laughs> <laughs> but what he didn't realize, what he gave us, was he gave us full control. He gave us full control. So that means when I say full control, full control of the underwriting criteria, full control of who the different vendors would be to provide credit reports or, you know, um, closings, being a settlement agent and appraisers and all that. So he gave us full control. So he gave us the ability to reinvent the process, to do it the right way. Because he's correct in that if you just go through the existing processes, in the existing requirements, you're going to be so consumed by that that you're never really going to be uh, able to do it the right way. But we had that. So we, got, so, so we got that agreement, and then we continued to do the campaigns against you know, Bank of Boston and Bay Banks and Barnett and um, 
First Union. I mean, we kept, you know, and I can talk about the campaigns. I'm going to um, flash f uh, forward. But, you know, we took that $140 million, and we have now increased that to over $15 billion of this one mortgage product. So we have taken that settlement, and we have made it where that we have become a standard for lending to low and moderate income and to minority home buyers. And so that's where it started from. But, you know, from all the campaigns, Tim, and, you know, one of the things, you know, I get asked all, all the time and said, you know, Bruce, you can be, you know, part of this advisory committee. You can be in this, you know, high-level position you know, on this committees, you know, so, you know, which is a lot of, which is a lot of, a lot of people like where they have influence at a governmental level. I said, I'm not interested in that because, you know, you know, NACA has to continue to, one, to be an organization that's respected for the operations that we do and feared for the advocacy that we do. What we have created is um, a unique organization. It's an organization that both does the operations and does the advocacy as one. So, you know, people say, well, you can't do one. If you're going to be, you know, to provide the services, well, you gotta work with players who you can't, you, you can't um, uh, beat up on, who you can't, uh, who you can't, you know, go after or attack. And I said, no, you know, you need both because if, if, if you don't have both, then you can do the best services out there. But then when they get out of line or you see other ones not doing it, well, you got to hold them accountable. Well, how else do you hold someone accountable or institutions accountable by, you know, doing the advocacy? And the advocacy is what we is called, you know, personal responsibility. And I probably shouldn't say it in this way, but I will. And it says we, it's called uh, nonviolent bank terrorism. Uh, and we've always said that, and we wear that as a badge of honor. So what does nonviolent bank terrorism mean? What that means is that we hold the CEOs and the, the decision makers personally responsible for their actions. So. You know, we're in a unique position because we have 2.7 million members. Then who are our members? Well, our members are the people that clean the houses for these executives. Our members are the ones that cut their lawns, that babysit their kids, that are their security guards, that do all the services for these CEOs and for the decision makers. So we can get anywhere we want. We can get through the gates because our members give us the, uh, you know, wave us through. Uh, we can get their phone numbers. We know where they are. We can get to their, where they socialize. Uh, we can get in onto their properties. We have full access. <laughs> we have full access because that's who our members are. Uh, and so I can give you a lot of stories, a lot of examples, like when we do the protest at, uh, in, uh, you know, um, when we do it in Washington and, how is it that the Capitol Police let us into the Senate banking committees and, or the House banking committees? Or how is it that we know that this hearing is going on? Because we've either saved their home through the Home Save program or we, they have a NACA mortgage. 
So, you know, we have a lot of those friends. So, you know, as good as it's been, and, you know, the campaigns are always crucial. We're always involved in a campaign, uh, you know, an advocacy piece. So we never, we never let up on that. But it makes no sense that it, when you do a campaign, so if you go back to Fleet, the first one that we won back then, right? Why would it have made sense? So let's say, you know, with that $140 million of that mortgage product, it would have made no sense to give it to Fleet saying, yeah, we've been in a four and a half year war with you. You're a lender. Why don't you do it? You know, it doesn't make any logical sense because we know that, that they didn't have the ability to do it or the mindset to do it. Uh, so we said, we're going to take on that, that responsibility. So for a long time, for a while, it was like, you know, people saw NACA as this aggressive advocacy organization where we engaged in really personal attacks on that, which when you think about it, it, America was based on personal accountability. You know, and they always say, oh, the homeowners have to be responsible and to make the payments. Well, that should apply to everybody. That should apply to the CEOs and to everybody, to the decision makers as well. So yeah, in a nonviolent way, we're in their face, we're, we're where they socialize, is where they go, to hold them personally responsible for their actions. And because if, you know, if they're going to lay off a lot of people, if they're going to engage in predatory practices, if they're going to you know, engage in discriminatory lending, well, you know, maybe you know, it, they have a different approach if you can burst through their bubble, because you know, they live in a bubble. Uh, and you can say, you know, do you know the consequences? And the best time to do that is on a Sunday morning, you know, family day, where they can, where we force the issue where they're going to have to come face to face with the families who their policies are impacting. And that's called personal responsibility. So, you know, yes, NACA continues to do that, but now we're also known as an organization that has really made, has operationalized mortgage lending in a very effective way. So it's, you know, now that piece of both the advocacy and the operations uh, go hand in hand with what we're doing. And so the goal is never in the history has there been lending that has been, you know, focused on low and moderate income and minority home buyers who've been locked out and discriminated against from affordable lending to do it on scale. And NACA is setting that standard for the country and will continue to do that. Wonderful. It's it's just such an amazing story. And I know there there are more stories that we could go on and on and on with. That means it gives us a lot of time for, for future episodes of this too. Bruce, thanks again for spending some time with us and, and giving everybody some of the backstory, some of that, that part that they don't know about how this organization grew and came into being to, to what it is today. Thank you so much. We got more of these to do, I oh, we have We have more stories, let me tell you. There's, there's, there's a lot more out there. More to come. Thank you again for joining us on this episode of NACA's American Dream Podcast. We'll see you next time.